Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 85 of Yogaland. Today, my guest is Michelle Marshallden. You may remember Michelle from episode 60 with Desiree Rembaugh. On that episode, we talked about the book that she co-wrote with Desiree called Fearless After 50, How to Thrive with Grace, Grit, and Yoga. Today, we're going to talk about a completely different type of book that Michelle wrote, and it's called Theme Weaver, Connect the Power of Inspiration to Teaching Yoga. It is a very clear, multi-step process to help you create meaningful, concise themes for your yoga classes. It's incredibly thoughtful, multi-layered, and after I read it, I felt like I wished there was something like this available after my own 200-hour training. I just remember feeling like after studying for 200 hours, I was set free and I was alone in the ether and I had no idea what to do beyond, you know, the few sequences that I've been, been practicing and had been able to teach. So one other thought, even if you're not a yoga teacher, you might find inspiration from this book and this interview. As you know, I am not a yoga teacher and I loved it because it really inspired my creativity to start writing again. And there's a lot of clarity in Michelle's process. I'm going to mention now, rather than at the end of the interview, that Michelle is working on another Theme Weaver book that's coming out in 2018. So if you want to know about that release, go to her website, yogimuse.com, and sign up for her newsletter, and you will be good to go when and notified when that new release comes out. So without further ado, please enjoy this incredibly actionable and, I think, entertaining interview with Michelle. Okay, Michelle, thanks so much for being here today. We are going to talk about your book, Theme Weaver, which is in its third printing, and it focuses on, no big surprise, how to weave themes into your yoga classes. And I said this before we started talking, but I'm going to say it again. I love this book. I think it is so well-crafted. It's so thoughtful. It's one of the most practical yoga books I've ever read, and I think What's really interesting about it for me is I'm not a yoga teacher, but I drew a lot of inspiration from it just in my own creative life and being a writer and an editor. So, you know, I feel like obviously it's really geared toward yoga teachers, but even people who just want to write, blog, work on creative projects, I think could get something from your book, especially, you know, as related to yoga. So I want to start with the basics. And let's just have you define what a theme means to you. What does it what does it mean to you to theme a yoga class? Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that um, you even have me on this podcast and that you liked Theme Weaver. Um, this book was absolutely a passion for me. If you're listening to this in 2018, I've been teaching um, 11 years, and this is the part of teaching that I love. You know, I can get you through the poses, and I can get a student through chaturanga, but what I really want to get them through is life. And for me, when you drop a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of authenticity from your own heart, that's the part that creates this connection between each of us as people. And I say this whenever I travel, that when people go to yoga classes, I tell teachers all the time, you know, your um, competition, and I don't want to really phrase yoga as a competitive business. However, let's get real. There's a lot of things that people can do with an hour of their day. And everyone's competition is not another teacher. No, no, no. Your competition is an hour of whatever someone can do in their day. And you want to really speak to their 
to their heart and their spirit. And if you can make a person feel better, if you can give them hope, if you can make them feel like they can get through another day on this planet, then I think you've done your job as a yoga teacher. Now, you may also have helped them touch their toes, and maybe that really is the thing that changed a person's life, but nobody ever said that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they come because of the way they feel after class and, and the community and just the feeling that's created in the room. And asana does have a lot to do with that. But in my mind, that's inspiration and that's theme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when did you realize, like when you started teaching, did you kind was it, did this come easy to you right away or was it something you had to work on? When did you realize it was something that was really important? That is a really good question because um, in the book, I do say, and I feel this way, and if you are listening and you just you struggle with this aspect in your teaching, my heart goes out to you. It was easy for me, but then I'm a great talker. <laughs> I can talk all day long. Even if I don't have facts, I can just keep going. But I know that that's really difficult for a lot of people. And so um, partly it's a skill that you can learn, and that's what I try to do is just give people a framework to right. help And partly, you know, people will be different. Some people will be shy. And this is not an area that feels natural. And so I give you permission. If it's not natural to you, by all means, skip it. There are some amazing yoga teachers who just teach yoga and they teach where the hand goes and how the knee lines up and how the hip is is there. Um, But um, if you feel compelled or called, if you feel a calling in your heart to share in this vein, then I want to be here to encourage you. Mm -hmm. And then the way I personally got started was, you know, for years I went to Ashtanga and it was, you know, this, the primary sequence, there was really no theming. It was right leg forward, inhale, warrior one, then chaturanga. And so then I got into Amy Apolity's room and she was one of my main teachers early on. And she, you know her, Amy is a beautiful themer. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to give her the credit for changing my life. My practice was a lot of me and a lot of sweat and tears, but my life was a lot of Amy. And then after that, it was Christina Sal and Desiree Rumba. Those three women spoke to my heart in a way that I, will never be able to repay them, you know, on or off the mat. Wow. Yeah, that's major. So do you feel like what they did for you was, and what the theme does is it connected the dots between the physical things we're doing and it very, they, they very overtly connected the dots between, okay, let's apply this to life. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that, and you know, some people, I'm going to get credit Christina for this. Uh, she says there's three kinds of students. And I love this. So there's um, engineers. An engineer is a student who primarily in the room wants to know where do you put the hand and is it the middle finger that lines up and the knee goes over the ankle and forward or back and how does that affect the hip? They're very technical. The more nuts and bolts you can give them, the happier they are. And then there's a mystic. And a mystic is a person who can um, pretty much lie in Shavasana the whole time if you tell them a story. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of mystic. You just tell them about Ganesha and how Ganesha removes obstacles. And they're like, oh, (laughs) they can. (laughs) I'm good. Yeah. And then the third person is an athlete. And the athlete only judges class by the size of the puddle of sweat on their mat. Mm -hmm. And if there's no sweat, class sucked. And that was it. And, you know, in truth, Christina taught me this. In truth, if you look at yourself, you probably have two of the three. And there's probably a little bit of disdain for the third. 
Right, right. And and I mean, would you say if you're looking at those three, would you say that when you're teaching a theme, you might have more difficulty reaching the athlete and the engineer? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so that's why I really urge people to be balanced when they're teaching. I mean, if you're talking 25 minutes before class and you just keep talking through the class and you always have a full room, may it always be so. All the mystics in your city have found you. Uh-huh. Right, right. There's a high likelihood that there's an athlete or an engineer in your room. And so you want to try to have a balanced class all the time. Now, on the other hand, if you don't want a theme and you're very physically oriented and you move your class quickly and efficiently and people love that movement, may it always be so. Mm-hmm. And the, the mystics have obviously found another teacher at the studio. You know, my feeling, Andrea, is that I want everyone to love yoga. And if I'm not someone's teacher, and I can tell, like if they're chaturanga-ing when I'm trying to tell them something sweet, I'll tell them after class, hey, go try so-and-so's class because he's going to kick your asana. And you'll love, given that there are three kinds of students, if you drop a little inspiration, then you can reach some of the mystics in your room. Right. That's smart. So it's like a balanced way to think about reaching the different personality types. Um, one of the things that I like, and you've kind of brought this up already a little bit, is, well, first of all, I just want people to know that in the book, there's just a very specific structure. We're, we're not talking in a very structured way right now, because I don't want to just go through A, B, C, D. But you offer this very specific structure. And then you also talk about some of the don'ts, which I think is really important. Um, <laughs> and so one of the don'ts is, you know, like you said, unless you're a person who's got a class of 90 people and you talk for 25 minutes and that's working for you, the intro is really short and sweet, like keep it concise. And then the other thing related to that is relating the theme so choosing a theme and then relating it to the HOV. So can you talk about the HOV? Because I feel like that's so essential. I create a formula. And so the good part of a formula is you plug things in and theoretically it should make your life easier. And you can take some of your uh, golden nuggets, the things you like to say and reuse them when it makes sense. And same with your anecdotes. You can reuse them when it makes sense. Now, some of the perhaps negatives of make, of using a, a formula is that some very creative people will say, oh, it's restricting me. And I like to be very free when I theme. But what happens, and I want to tell very free creative people, is that this is what often happens. You say the same thing over and over. And those of us who take your class are like, oh my gosh, here comes that same old um, thing she's going to say. And, you know, you say, blossom your whatever. You say, foot to the sky or hide the sky. And and you may not hear it, but we think you sound like a broken record. Mm. And that translates as not being inspired. And so if you use a formula and just take, I'm asking everyone for like five, 10 minutes, to prepare a class, if you just take that time to to think about what you want to say, you will actually sound fresher and more authentic and more unique than if you're being very free because you don't want to be hemmed in. However, I mean, I'm just offering this formula because for me, I don't know how much everyone else is getting paid, but I didn't ever get paid that much for a yoga class. I'm living in a very competitive market. And so I do it for the absolute love. And um, I don't want to spend four hours to create an hour class. That's time. And mm-hmm. time 
is your your money and it's your life. Like you could be practicing during those four hours. So if I have a formula that saves you time, I want to give you your life back so that you can be authentic, be original, be creative and only and get to do that in, you know, 15 minutes. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's so smart. Like one of the things you talk about is that as you're going through, you know, you really want people to think about things and there's several steps, right, to the formula and that it can seem a little overwhelming at first and a little time consuming. But then once you get it down, you can, first of all, you can kind of take a theme and use it several different ways for several different classes. So you could take one theme and have five to 10 classes come out of that. And then once you, it's sort of like anything, like once you ramp up, it just gets, it gets easier and easier to do and you get faster and faster, quite frankly, at kind of really pulling it all together and having a complete balanced class that makes sense that you feel confident about and that you're not like five minutes before you go in the room, like, ah, oh, is this what I want to teach today? <laughs> Not that I can't guarantee that that won't ever happen. Yeah, you might. Yeah, of course, of but course. you are a hundred percent. Who knew that practice worked? Right, teaching is a practice too, and at like our physical practice, we will get out of it what we put into it. And if you find that you are running from class to class and rushing in, and that you feel depleted, let me tell you why that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> You're rushing from class to class and you feel depleted. And so what I like about the formula that I offer teachers is that I'm just asking you to, to put a container around your enthusiasm so that you can harness the energy and reuse it. Now, you had asked about HOVs. And so this is what I've done is that there's a theme. And so a theme could be like a phrase, like um, stand tall in your truth or um, my theme this week, it's, uh, we happen to be talking at the end of the year. I always talk about this is a wonderful life, that beautiful, it's a wonderful life. In the movie, I hope you're listening to this any time of the year, people, because you should always watch this movie. In the movie, there's an angel. And his name is Clarence Oddbody. So apparently they had body issues in the 50s, too. <laughs> I, I, ne I never one. remembered that his last name was Oddbody. That is hilarious. <laughs> so I relate to him because of the Oddbody. But anyway, he's an angel second class. And so the title of my theme is really angel second class, because how many times in our lives have we felt like a second class mom or a second class yogi? Or there's things that maybe perhaps we can do better. So that's kind of my overarching theme. And I might bring in angel references because I'm really a cornball. Or I might bring in references to having your back. The angels always have your back. In the movie, Franz and Joseph have Clarence's back, but they're often in a bar. And so <laughs> your angels could be in a bar too, which is why you want to learn the yoga scale. <laughs> I think it's adorable. Some people just stopped listening to the podcast. <laughs> no, no, Jason and I always worry about that when we talk to each other and make each other laugh too. I, I think it's good. <laughs> so that's the theme. The theme is Clarence Oddbody. And so the, but that's not the HOV. So HOV stands for human. And I just want to actually stop body. you for one quick second. So the theme you talk about should actually come from something you care about right now, right? Something that Anything gets your interest, right? And at the same time, and this is where I was going to the don't, it's not a great idea, would say you'd probably call it a don't, to have it be something that is 
unresolved in your life right now, like just something you're really emotional about or something that, you know, quite frankly, you just, you haven't processed and worked through yet. Very, very true. And this is one of the real, I, I travel all over the country in, in Canada. Everywhere I go, I open my workshops the same way. I say, what drives you crazy? I shouldn't say that now in case I go somewhere. They'll be like, oh, you're going to ask what drives us crazy. <laughs> I ask everyone because A, I'm really curious. I'm all, and that's why I love uh, Theme Weavers in the third printing. I'm always updating when I hear what drives people crazy. But the number one thing, number one, is that teachers talk too much, and especially in the beginning of class. And so I'll go back to that in a second. But the number two thing is that they say something that's really uncomfortable. And so I have uh, three things that you can think about to how to know when a theme is right for you. And one is, can you offer hope? Can you have gone through an experience and offer hope to others who are in the same place that it does get better? If you don't yet see it, like um, I had a friend going through a divorce and she wondered why she was talking about her divorce all the time and literally crying. She was wondering why her students were not coming back to class. And I said, because you're giving your mess to them. They have their own messes. I talk about my first divorce um, as a celebration. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never would have met my second husband had he not left with another yeah. woman. Hallelujah. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, and that is inspiring. Right, because someone else in the room is going through heartache and you want them to know that it will turn out okay. The second thing you always want to offer is experience. So if you haven't gotten the learning, you're not ready to offer it as a theme. Oprah says, Oprah, my um, own personal guru, <laughs> Oprah says, if you cannot yet say thank you for that experience, then you haven't learned from it. So when you can say thank you for that theme, then you're ready to offer it up. And then number three is strength. And so you need to show everyone that you're better for it. You got to show that you're better for it, not just say it. Because you know how some people can be like, I'm better. But yeah. Yeah, it's kind of doesn't feel good. And I have a personal fourth, which always is that if you can laugh about it. Now, I'm a giggler. I laugh. I, I like to find the light in life. That's my thing is finding the light on the way to enlightenment. But it, that's not everybody's thing. So I that's my own personal thing is that if I can't laugh yet about a theme, it's just not ready in my own spirit to talk about. Right. I think those are such important guidelines. And then, like I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, that this is a good book to read, too, if you want to write. It's the same mm -hmm. thing in writing and editing. You can't guide people in your messaging if you haven't figured it out for yourself. And those are really th three to four, if you want to include the humor, which I like. I think humor is really important for good guidelines for determining that. I think that's great. Yes, you have to do the work, mm -hmm. right? have to do the work. And uh, many people define the work in different ways, but the work is the work and it's work on self. And you have to do that work. And I feel, you know, that many people um, perhaps use yoga to do the work, but I urge people, I urge teachers, please do the work on your own time. That's part of your job of being a good human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Come in and then give your students something that they can hang on to. Everybody Everybody has a story. Everybody is on their mat with something that they're dealing with. No, In 11 years of teaching, no one came into my room and said, I'm feeling so good. I'm thinking <laughs> about yoga today. They come in saying something, you know, sad and difficult and challenging. And so someone suggested yoga. And so we're here as human beings charged with helping them. That's a big responsibility. So do your own work, people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. So now I interrupted you. I think you were just about to talk about the HOV. Good. So the theme that I was, I'm doing this week, because it happens to be December, is It's a Wonderful Life, or it's really Clarence Oddbody, this angel second class. Now, that doesn't really, um, I can just talk about angels and about silly things like hide in the sky where your angels live, but you can even hear that that sounds fruity. Am I right? Yeah. A little cheesy. A little cheesy. And so how do we give our themes meaning? And that to me is the underlying message. And that would be your human operating value. It's a virtue. It's the thing that makes us better people, or at least richer, not you know, by money, but richer, more spiritual people. And so my, my underlying HOV is going to be self-acceptance. So if I talk about if you feel like a second-class angel, perhaps you can't see the good you're doing in the world. Right. And that feels like it has more resonance. Am I right? Mm -hmm. So the underneath every little theme that you come up with can be a, a group or a set or a couple um, um, HOVs that are resonant for you. And that gives your theme heft. And that gives what I like to call you weight. It gives you weight as a teacher, a kind of a, I've been there, I've done that. And when you hear that in someone's voice as a teacher, as a student, you can give more trust to them with your body. That's my thing. Yeah. I mean, it just makes total sense. You start with the thing that's interesting to you, the theme, and then you kind of unpack it with the HOV. You, you kind of look at what's the meaning behind it? Why is it meaningful to me? Why is it speaking to me right now? And then you apply it to others. Oh, and this is another don't of yours that I think is so great and so important, which is, and I can't remember exactly how you said it, but this was sort of the first really important rule I learned in editing, which is that as the teacher, we want to hear your experience and we want you to guide us, but we don't want to hear, we don't really care about your whole story. It has to apply to the students. And, you know, I can just remember when I first started editing, it was a short column and like the first three paragraphs were about him and his experience with this, whatever it was. And I edited all of that out and I kind of turned it around and made it more applicable for the reader and how it would apply to their life. And, you know, there could be a, there was like a little short part that applied to him, but it was really more about being of service to the reader. And when I talked to him about it later, he's, it was like a year long column. So he learned from it and it wasn't Jason, just anyone who's listening. Cause we talk about our, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, we talk about our editing relationship all the time. But anyway, he said something so interesting to me. He said, well, I, I guess I've learned with writing that editors just, they strangle your babies first. And that sounds so horrible. But I mean, what he meant was like those things that you write when you're writing, and I would imagine it might be the same thing when you're teaching. When you start to talk about yourself and your experience, you feel like it's just so magical. Like you feel like it's your best writing and you get very attached to it because it comes from you. And actually that's often the part that kind of has to go and you have to put yourself again into being of service to the reader. So to me, there was like such a parallel to that and what you were saying. So well said. And so um, we always want to remember that everything we do in the yoga room is to be of service. I mean, for that hour or 90 minutes or two hour workshop, whatever we've been called to do or, or 200 hour teacher training, we're there to be of service. And if we ever get off track, because we're humans, we are kind of second-class angels, all of us, you know, we do get off track. 
that serves to remind us to get back on track. And I've sometimes in very long trainings, weekend trainings, I can get a little into my own, what I call middle child moment, although I'm an only child, but it can be like all about me. And hopefully we can be mature enough to just pull it back and make it about our student. So I have five rules. And I think what you're talking about is the beginning of class. And this is the anecdote. And so here's the thing for anybody who starts off a class. And I think you can ask most teachers, if the class starts off on a high note and they're with you and they're paying attention and they are laughing or just totally on with you, it goes easier. If you start off and, and nothing's landing and you're on a different wavelength and you want to do something energetic and they've run a marathon, it makes the next 60 minutes much harder mm -hmm. to get going. And so I urge teachers to have a real discipline in the very beginning of class. And number one complaint I get from all over the country is too much talk in the beginning. Hmm. Apparently, teachers don't talk in the middle of class. <laughs> They're really talking in the beginning. And I write, wrote Theme Weaver for every style of yoga. I just discovered a new style. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want people to, all of a sudden, everyone would be like, oh, I hate that style. I hate her. Or, uh -huh. <laughs> it doesn't matter what right. style But I noticed that stylistically in the class, we start in child's pose, and then we do like um, about 10 to 12 minutes of something. And then we are brought down to a, a early kind of a shavasana, not the final, but just on your back. And that's where a teacher delivers the theme. And I think it's so interesting. That's so smart. It's so smart. And I always say, try to do this in the first third of the class. You don't have to do it in the very beginning. But I notice in my own body that I show up to class coming from childcare or work or shopping, whatever my rush is. We have terrible traffic in Denver. I don't know if you can relate in California. We do. Oh, it's awful. Oh, city so, driving. But just driving to yoga is like, it's like you're insane. And it really feels nice to move rather than to have to sit for a long time. But here's my rule. My rule is five minutes to the move. Now that I've said it, if you talk for 25 minutes and it's working for you, God bless. You know, I don't want to change you. I'm just offering my um, experience that five minutes to the move. And moving is not child's pose or meditation. Moving is dog standing on dog, standing Tadasana, standing Urdhva Hastasana, any kind of moving is a move. Seated meditation, if you want to start with that, please start with it, but don't do it after you've talked for five minutes for another 10, because then it's 15 minutes to the move. Right, right, right. And people are antsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes so much sense. So there's a couple things that come to mind when you say this. I wonder if teachers perhaps talk too much at the beginning of class because it's almost like a comedian going up to the microphone. Like you've got sort of a cold room and maybe they get nervous. So this idea that you, that you were talking about with this other style that you just started where you could move them first, right? You could warm up the room. <laughs> you could warm up the room, warm up yourself a little bit, bring them right into the movement and then introduce the theme um, while they're in a still, a more still pose. Yes, I, I'm really taking this, this format of yoga and I'm really, the more I take it, um, I do it a couple times a week, the more I'm really appreciating 
their format. I think it's, well, I happen to be, if you know your doshas, three main doshas, which are Ayurvedic ways of looking at the human body. And um, I happen to be Vata. Mm -hmm. And Vata is, we're very, you know. I would never know that. I would never I know that, Michelle. How I talk. I'm also a New Yorker. Yeah. New Yorker vatas are like the highest. And yeah, we're the human Jack Russells of our population. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but vatas, we just, you know, we want to move. Pittas, pittas are just um, hot, fiery people, and they're just going to get pissed off if you don't move them. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are going to be doing chaturanga if mm-hmm. you're not doing that and they're angry. Vatas, we don't get angry, but we just get agitated. And then there's the kaphas. You can talk all day for them. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee that you have a room full of kaphas who are just happy to sit and listen. There's no guarantee. Yeah, yeah. And you want to balance them for them anyway and fire them up, up a little bit. Exactly. So you have to find balance for all of them. So my recommendation is five minutes. Now, I have a watch and I use it. I'm not afraid to use it. I have a phone and I'm not afraid to use it. And some studios where I teach have a clock and I'm not afraid to use it. So if I start my theme and I see that it's two minutes after, I shut up. And it's a very good technique. I just shut up and I say something like, let's start today in down dog. And I can continue to drop the theme in dog, but I know that I have them moving. So Five minutes to the move. And when I do my teacher trainings, I actually use my phone. We go around the room. Everyone practices their opening. And this is the thing, Andrea. When you've got a phone on you and a person timing you, I've never had a person go over two minutes. Wow. Huh. Two minutes. So you can be a lot more disciplined than you think um, if you've got someone who's like watching a clock on you. Yeah. Yeah. Then I have this other thing in my anecdote. I have five rules. Five minutes to the move is one of them. Try to talk for less than two minutes before you get people moving. But the thing, the one of them that you hit on earlier was this idea of it's not about you or the teacher. It's about your students. And so I learned this from Amy. It's called universalizing. And it's where you ask your students, has this happened to you or do you know what I'm talking about? And you've got to wait for them to nod their head and participate. And this is what brings your theme to them. It makes them feel like they have skin in the game. Sometimes when I hear that people feel that teachers are just talking all about themselves, it's really not a bad theme, but it was just a failure to universalize. Mm, Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's also a really good talent at cocktail parties. (laughs) Yeah. And so this is what I noticed. I'm going to say this about my husband, but he's just very shy and he's an engineer. So people at cocktail parties, they'll talk and whispering because he's in the other room. So he's, a, he's an engineer and he's brilliant, but he's, you know, engineers are about the nuts and bolts. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so someone will come up to him at a cocktail party and they'll say, what do you do? And he'll be going on and on about his engineering things and the things and and order management and the things he does. And after that, I'll say to my husband, so what does that fellow do? He's like, I don't know. He didn't say. (laughs) say, So you have to follow that question up with, and what do you do? Yeah. 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 Students want to have skin in the game. Students want to know that you care about their associations with the theme. And what are we doing in yoga? To some degree, we're doing a community practice. Otherwise, they can practice at home on their mat. They came to that class 
to feel connected, to be with you, to have to be seen themselves. You have your eyes on them, but not just on their pose. I hope you have their your eyes on their spirit and that through inspiration, you help them feel better. And by listening to them, even with a nod of the head, you've heard them and seen them. And that's just huge in our society today. Have you ever had a room of very shy students who didn't nod their heads? Yeah. What do you yeah. do? And then I say, am I the only one here? <laughs> I don't move. And someone's like, no, no, I get it. And okay. Then go, yeah. And then you move forward. <laughs> oh I guess I'm the only one who feels like an angel second class. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Because you do, you do have those people who no, no matter what, they will not respond. Even if they're feeling it, they won't visibly show it. And you know what? Hopefully you have another student in the class who will. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what's your third rule? So the first one is uh, two minutes to the move, or two minutes to speak, five minutes to the move overall. And then there's um, always universalize it, always related to yoga. So sometimes if your theme is about yoga, like handstand, then that's already related to yoga. People will get it. But if your theme is angel second class, then I will say something specific like in my poses, I always feel like I never get it. Does, has this happened to you that you're always working towards a pose? But what if what you had today was already your pose? And so I relate the theme of, of self-acceptance to your yoga and then the next rule is always related to life. So in this case, the theme is about life. But if your theme was a yoga theme, like I've worked all my life for handstand and I still haven't gotten there, does anyone else feel like it's a difficult journey and you wait for the heads to nod? And then you can say off the mat, you know, also in my life, I feel like I'm always trying to get this job promotion or do something fantastic with my family and I never feel satisfied. Does this happen to you? And um, the reason I say that is that as yogis, those of us who've been practicing know how yoga has changed our lives, but new students may not get that. And that's where I feel you really can add huge value to your sweet students in terms of changing their life and not just changing their yoga. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Again, like connecting the dots for people, because you'll have people coming in from all levels, all backgrounds, all kind of types of embodiment, you know? I mean, I think what I really like about what you've written and your system is it just, you're asking people to clarify a lot of things that may already be in there. But unless if you're a yoga teacher, unless you're expressing it outwardly in a clear way, people might not be getting all your wisdom. Exactly. And, and, um, you know, the thing that's so sweet is I'll talk about a class I took with Jason. He won't remember me because I'm a tiny mouse in the back row. <laughs> <laughs> Always a tiny mouse in the back row. And then, you know, every now and then I'll walk into a studio in another city and they're like, oh my God, I know who you are. I'm like, okie doke, but I'm really older and more frail than I look in my books. <laughs> back row. <laughs> So um, I took Jason's class one time, and he's a master teacher. He beautifully enunciates the alignment. I love that. And I go to him uh, to feel safe. 
I feel very safe in his room. I know because of his Iyengar background that he won't put me somewhere I'm not prepared, you know, in an appropriate manner. So having said all that, I don't remember any poses that he taught me, but I remember this one line because I'm a mystic, you know, I'm a story girl. And he said one time that yoga is just like fine wine. It gets better as you age. Wow. I know. Who knew he was so deep? Exactly. But, you know, aging on the mat as I am, I I just have, I'm here to, it's been 10 years since I was in that room and I heard him say that. And it's with me today because on the days I can't do or feel less than, I remind myself I'm a fine wine and that what I can accomplish is even more resonant and more rich and more fruitful than what I no longer can. And I owe that to him and that tiny, what I call a golden nugget that he dropped at the right moment in the room and in my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say after one of the parts of the parts of your formulas after you you know nail your theme you nail your hov then you can start to work on sprinkling it throughout the class with what you call the golden nuggets do you ever have a hard time coming up with the golden nuggets or is that easy for you well i'm a writer yeah I, that's my thing and right I can come up with nuggets now i usually i ask people to come up with five to seven for a class hopefully you'll remember one, maybe another one will come up. Um, and, and maybe none will come up. And I don't want anyone to feel bad about that. So here's the thing. I think in my youth, I used to feel that you had to weave the theme. Otherwise, it was just the beginning, like you mentioned it, and maybe at the end, and it didn't feel uh, complete or comprehensive. But I've changed. I've grown. And I've done this with the help of Darren Rhodes, who says, he calls it a spiritual pizza. So if the theme's on top and the class is on the bottom, at least you gave them something. Right. And you tried a little yeah. bit. And over time, the sprinkling gets easier. And it really does. And it, the first time you say a little something is the most terrifying. Like you open the kimono and you showed them your heart. And that's terrifying. You mm -hmm. can remember the first time you were honest and vulnerable with a, a friend or a partner isn't it terrifying? Yeah, absolutely. And then what happens? They're like, oh, we like that. So you can open the kimono again. <laughs> and say, this is blah, blah, blah. So um, I usually have way more golden nuggets than I need. And I usually don't use any of them. They come to me as I'm teaching as the class progresses. So when I taught my angel theme, you know, I kind of imagined that if we had wings, they'd be in the back part of the body. Mm -hmm. And so if we were doing crow, let's say, bakasan, I would say, and where your wings would be, puff that up. And if you can imagine that an angel has your back, lift up as if someone's holding you up there and see if you can balance for a second. Mm, nice. And so, you know, that's natural for me. But again, if you take this time, if you write it out before class, you'd be amazed what preparation can do for you. Right, right. Well, it sounds like even if you don't use the five or six that you think of, they, they've kind of like primed the pump for you. 100%. So you're more likely to say something off the cuff that makes sense and it relates to the theme and relates to everything you're trying to teach than if you haven't thought about them at all. 100%. And that's exactly why I say don't even think about not 
having used one of the ones you came up with, it nourished you. Mm-hmm. It fed you. Mm-hmm. It prepared you. You know, I'm a great sports fan. I have all boys. I married one. I created two more. I mean, I'm just surrounded by testosterone. And so I watch a lot of sports. And um, here in Denver, we had a quarterback named Peyton Manning. He was old for a quarterback. I think he might have been 100. No, he was like <laughs> 40. <laughs> so he's, one of the quotes I like from him very much was he said, I was never the youngest on the field. And I may not be the fastest on the field, but I was always the most prepared. Oh. So I always feel like as a yoga teacher, you know, you don't have control over a lot. You may not be the most flexible in the room. You may not be even the most knowledgeable, but you can be the most prepared about what your theme is, your inspiration, and how that relates to the asana, how that relates to your life, how that relates for your students to be able to blossom. Nobody will know that more than you, and that's what gives you weight as a teacher. Yeah. So I, that's great. I think that's so helpful. Um, I'm super linear. So did we get through all the five rules? I think we are on four. (laughs) You know what? I'm a little linear too. And so I actually brought out my cheat sheet. Okay, good. (laughs) Cause I could get mine too, but I think it'll be faster for you. So five rules. Number one, take less than three minutes to tell. You can use a watch to help yourself and you can use a clock at the back of the room or your phone. Number two, always universalize it. Always ask the students, does this happen to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? And guess what? If absolutely nobody resonates, like you're talking about your children and you have a class of young millennials, switch gears because you're serving. You're serving them and do something quick to help them relate. Number three, always connect your theme to yoga. Someone in the room won't get it. They won't get while you're talking about angels. We're here to help them make their life easier. They have a difficult life just as you do. Help them and connect the dots. Number four, connect your anecdote to life off the mat so you can show them how yoga is different from any other exercise in that it really can give you spiritual resonance and spiritual resilience to carry on in a very difficult world right now. And then lastly is five minutes to the move. And I write no exceptions. Of course, there's always going to be exceptions. But as hard as you may argue with me that you want to talk longer, why don't you work that hard to rein it in within five minutes? I love that. Edit yourself. Edit, edit, edit. Edit, edit, edit. It'll make you a better communicator. It always does. And you know what? People will listen more. I used to teach very large classes in kind of a big kind of a studio. I don't do that anymore. I'm As I'm older, I'm doing smaller classes. It's giving me more joy to work one-on-one in that way. But in my very large classes, I'd have people show up who didn't know that I would talk in the beginning. And they would just come in and start working out. And I would say to them, if you give me three minutes, I promise that I am going to give you 57 of the hardest minutes of your life, but you got to give me three. And I think that's a good deal. Mm, That's yeah, that's, that's really smart, which is, it's just kind of, if you really are noticing restlessness, you can front load a little bit. Exactly. But I have to live up to my end of the bargain and shut up at three. Right. Right, right, right. Otherwise, people would be really annoyed. That's true. Yeah, and the time he comes, he's going to be like, you didn't you didn't start us in 57 minutes, so I'm going to start in right now. Right, 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 so right. Showing reliability and trustworthiness as a teacher that and I want to say 
I love asana. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want you just to go in there and theme the whole time. I love asana. I mean, I'm on my mat for what asana can do for my body and my health. And, and when I get to a pose that I've been working on, just like any other yogi, I mean, there's a, such a, a sense of, and I want to say fill in the blank. Because some of us, the blank may be peace, and some of us may be contentment. And for me, I feel self-acceptance when I feel really wonderful. And clarity is one of my HOVs. I always teach about clarity. So I'm all about asana being the most important thing. But my personality is that I just am not going to work very hard unless I'm motivated. And, you know, getting my knee over my ankle is just not that interesting to me. It just isn't. Right. Now, if you were Pitta, you'd be like, my knee is over my ankle better than your knee. Right. So your ankle. Right. I'm not that person. I'm like, eh, it's good enough. Yeah. And I actually would say, just to add to that a little bit, I think even for the people for whom like the initial interest in yoga is is getting, you know, their foot behind their head or or whatever physical thing, once they accomplish that, sometimes you get a sense of like, well, now I did yoga, but now I'm just like, whatever. And so again, like creating a class that creates a little more meaning for them is going to keep them practicing. I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, and here's what will happen. Someday you will get every pose you ever imagined. There's still going to be a teacher that can show you more, but there's only what? I, I, the last count I saw was 947 poses. Oh, yeah. I actually just got a book from Amazon called 2026 Poses. Yeah, there's a book out there. It's like a lot of poses. Um, but, you know, someday you could get them all. And then what? Right. And the other thing that will happen, and people don't believe me on this, but someday you're going to get older. Yes. <laughs> I, oh. I hate tell my younger students this, but someday, and I show them my face, this could happen to you. (laughs) And when that happens, you need to stay interested. Always be interested. It's so much better to be interested than interesting. And if you can stay interested in the poses, in inspiration, in your life, in the meaning that yoga brings to you on the mat, then you'll always be in it. You'll always be in it no matter what you can do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was really well said. I want to bring up one more thing before we go, because to me, it just really stood out, which is that you talk in the end of the book about how you can do the work, start creating your themes using this formula, go through the process, and then you can store them in some way. And so can you just, you you mentioned a couple different ways to do that. I, I just thought that was really helpful and interesting. Like, can you talk about how, how you do it and then kind of now that you have this library, how you use it? Yes, of course. So um, organization has actually not been my strong suit, but um, organization is a tremendous tool for us to save time. And so how people can organize their themes is completely up to them. Some people I know organize them uh, just alphabetically by theme title, and they know that um, the angels 
who are second class will always be their theme on self-acceptance. I do it sometimes by my HOVs. So I'll always put on my theme, like the HOVs, and I have the a theme sheet, and I also have those on my website and on Facebook. I give away free themes much as I'm able to be organized. So, you know, catch 22 there. When I put those HOVs in, like self-acceptance, or I'll put in clarity, or I'll put in strength, steadfastness. When I go on my computer, I have a Mac, um, but I think it works on any computer. And you search, like today I want to talk about steadfastness and how important that is in life. I type in steadfastness and the themes that have that come up. Oh, yeah, that's smart. Yeah. And so then um, I might just change the story. So for example, another theme on self-acceptance that I use is called, called my supermodel theme. So at the beginning of the year, a lot of times you'll watch the morning shows. And I watched this one morning show, Good Morning America, I think it was, where they went out on the street and they grabbed three ordinary people in New York and they brought them into the studio. And then by the end of the show, they came out glammed up. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah they do like the street make. Yeah, the makeovers kind I of. personalized you. <laughs> <laughs> You're so tricky, so sneaky. To say that, like, here's my whole opening. I was watching Good Morning America and they grabbed three people on the street for makeovers. So I thought, well, gosh, what if they grabbed me? Because you would see my before be so horrible. But then all these people came out and they were absolutely stunning. And I wonder if in each of us there lives a supermodel. Right. And I, so I saw this theme, my inner supermodel, your inner supermodel. And so when we do our poses that day, I'll say a strike a pose. Oh, so that's cute. Funny. That's so cute. <laughs> and I own it. And if you don't like it, it's so bad to do that. I'm having a lot of fun. So um, I'll say strike a pose. And then maybe I'll like say something from Madonna. She said strike a pose. Right. Hands to the chin. But it's always about self-acceptance. So you know that your inner supermodel is in you all along. And all you needed to do was to see it. And so in your poses, your beautiful poses inside you all along, you just need to be shown it and you need to believe it. That's the same theme as Angel Second Class. Can you hear that? Yeah. Okay. Yes. But no one's going to know that's the same theme about self-acceptance. Got it. it's in a completely different story. So I've just changed the theme. I have folders on desire and manifestation. So you know, we always want things maybe that we don't have. And, and so I have a lot of stories and themes about how to want what we do have, which is one of the tricks in life. And so then I have other folders on the individual and community, you know, like being part of a group feels good sometimes and feels not authentic at times. And so I have themes in that area. And then I have themes on, I don't really have themes on love. And you'll notice, I noticed that different doshas have different levels of comfort with different human operating values or virtues. And, and vatas and love were like very lukewarm on that. Hmm. Interesting. I, love is nice. More <laughs> anti-love. I'm, I'm just more about, you know, the divine and reaching your highest potential. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think it's good that you bring that up because you do talk about like, you don't, you don't have to take on a theme that just doesn't feel right to you. For a long time, when I was first practicing, I would look up to my teacher, Sarah Powers, who's just so ethereal. You know, she's just such a, she's such a light, airy, ethereal person. And I'm just not, but I kind of equated her way of being as 
being yogic, you know? And so I felt like I wanted to kind of emulate her when I started teaching and it just never quite felt right. And so that's, that's interesting that you say that, like love is not a theme that just is one that you works for you so that you just put that aside and you work on the ones that do feel right for you. Right. And so for those of us who have trouble to talk about love and loving others, it might feel easier to talk about self-love and self-nurturing. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or empathy. Or empathy. So there's a lot of different ways to work with love. And what you just said is one of the biggest mistakes that we make. And I, I thought maybe I wanted to talk about some of our failures when we try to, to teach and to incorporate themes. One of the number one things is not being authentic to ourselves. And so in the beginning of Theme Weaver, I ask each of us to do some work thinking about journaling, why we are teaching. And one of the things I always ask people, who are your favorite teachers? And very often our favorite teachers are not actually what we want to teach, but what we need to hear. Mm -hmm. And so some of my favorite teachers are all lovely kapha beings and they're nurturing and they're like big love muffins. And as a vata, I want to just sit in their lap for the whole class. And yeah. be held. But can I do that? Not authentically. Right. I try. I try to put on my love muffin voice and face, but you know, I'm, remember, I'm a Jack Russell Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go, 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 work harder, harder, harder. It's really hard for me. And it feels really inauthentic for me to be like, and just relax. But those are the teachers I go to. So it helps me define who I am. I want people to look at themselves and say, well, what am I when I'm in the room? And then the other number two thing is like not your theme. And every time I heard a great theme and then I tried to take it and make it my theme, I failed every single time. Mm-hmm. And it's either that I didn't journal on it and really contemplate it for how to how why it's meaningful to me so that I could then relate it to students or it just wasn't me and I was trying to be someone else mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just to wrap up this the subject of great yoga fails I think that what I call yoga gobbledygook it really bugs me as a student and it's probably because I'm a writer but gobbledygook is when you just are the teacher's just throwing out all kinds of yoga BS, like high to the sky and just let go and find your inner something. (laughs) But it used to be like your inner love muffin. And they just keep saying stuff, you know, and it has no unifying theme or HOV or meaning. It just, it's distracting to the asana, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like that thought of just like, just be peace or, you know, just, yeah. So just going back just briefly to the organization. So it sounds like you mentioned you could organize it alphabetically or you could organize it by theme and you could have more than one, you know, class per theme or you could organize it by HOV, by sort of the values, the the meaning behind it. Once you've got it organized... How do you, let's say in a week, if you're looking at the week ahead of your classes, how do you utilize it? For me, this is one of the big questions that I get. People say to me all the time, where do you find your themes? And I live um, a very inspired life. And what I mean by that isn't that I'm um, a higher being or more enlightened. I just see inspiration almost everywhere I go. You know, I think it's because of yoga. I live, um, you know, very close to the surface. Like I'm very awake, 
I'm very aware. And the more we practice as yogis, I hope this brings you into a higher state of consciousness. And if that sounds woo-woo, I'm sorry, but that's how I live. And I see themes everywhere. Like you could say, make a theme on pizza. And I would have a second to tell you that it looks like the good stuff is on top. But when you dig down into the crust, it's so much yummier. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the same in our yoga, where it looks like the pose is the foot behind your head. But when you dig down to how it feels inside, that's where it's yummier. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can just, you know, that's me. What I tell people is to live awake, live awake live inspired. When you hear something, write it down, pull over to the side of the road. If you hear it on the radio and speak it into your phone so you don't forget it. If you see something, just grab onto it. And then when I come home to my organized files, I start to skim. Now I have probably 750 themes. I mean, I've been theming a long time. And so this is my thing. And Mm -hmm. so I know not everybody's thing, but you come home Start writing down your thoughts. Why did that strike you? Why was that interesting? And then I look and see if there's another theme that is close enough. So it won't be exact. You want to freshen your themes with that new moment of what came to you. But there will be other golden nuggets of the angels have your back or um, live an inspired life or what's really important, whatever golden nuggets that you can reuse, they'll be there for you. So I really believe that the first time you do this, take the time to discover why you teach, why a theme is interesting and you contemplate it could take an hour. You know, by the time you've been doing it for several months, there's no reason it should take more than five to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I say, just let it bring up live awake, live on the surface, let it bring up the things that are important to you. And you'll discover it's important to your students too. Like like this world, 2017 is really hard. I am praying 2018 is a little calmer for all of us, but we're all in the same world. Am I right? Yeah. All in this place of polarization and opposites and real intense emotion, we're all in it. And so if you can speak to that in a, in a measured way, not saying which side is right or which side is wrong, but just speak in a way that how it's affecting you, it's affecting everyone else too. And that will create that sweet community of, well, where, where can we connect? Where can we sympathize? And it's perhaps in this feeling of being adrift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And supporting each other. Supporting each other and being for each other. Well, Michelle, I've just loved this conversation. I feel totally inspired to start writing again. I'm so happy, which is something I've been thinking about lately. It's been a while since I've really put pen to paper and spent that time. And I actually had the thought the other day, like, whoa, I haven't thought about writing in a while. What do I want to write about? But whereas before, when I was in it a little bit more, I would find inspiration all around me. So just thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and your creativity. And I know that people can get the book on Amazon and obviously I'll link to it in the show notes page. And I just highly recommend it. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks again. Thanks as always for listening. Show notes can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 85. And if you enjoy the podcast, please share it wherever you like. And please leave a five-star iTunes review. It helps the podcast a lot and helps me continue to produce it. Until next week, enjoy your practice.